You're listening to Awakening with Rabbi Ami Silver on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Ami as he shares the wisdom of the Hasidic master, Rabbi Kolonimus Kalman Shapira of Piazetsna. Through the Piazetsna Rebbe's various works, Rabbi Ami guides us on a unique path of healing, transformation, and awakening to experiencing the divine that is steeped in the Jewish mystical tradition. I could just start on a personal note is that uh, I've been wanting and dreaming about teaching Pisa Sinarabi's Torah like in a, in a deep way and an ongoing way for years, last years. So. Uh, so just for me, this is like an amazing, <clears throat> amazing petach, amazing step. Um, my God. In and out of the years, Rebbe's Torah has continued to to come back into my life and touch me in in very very meaningful ways. And I could say that the things that he's done for me and continues to do for me personally, it's just like I don't really have the words for. But it's like for me, this is this is Mamash Torah Chaim. So uh, I'm hoping and, and praying that uh, we can enter, enter into his chamber together. Today, Befrat, I would like to, to start with, with some biography about the Rebbe, about who he was, um, what we know about his life, and not just for historical information. I actually think that's important and it's helpful, especially because he's like a pretty modern Rebbe, and because of that, he has a lot to offer us. That's unique. Um, but also the way that that helps us understand his Torah a lot more deeply. And, and I think even today, if we get to it, we'll see um, something that's been powerful for me is seeing, seeing his Torahs, especially in the Ish Kodesh, as far as how they line up with certain events that were happening in his life at the time, certain things that were happening um, in Warsaw at the time, time Israel at the time, like in specifically the year, the month, the week, the parsha he's talking and understanding what was happening like right around that time. It, it gives a whole new lens to his Torah because every word of Torah in this is the Rebbe digging into a deep well of hope that seemed impossible before he had to do it and, and sharing that Torah and that chizuk with the people around him at that time. And, and the depth of the of the pain and the suffering that they were all going through is deeply tied into the the Chidush Torah that he was he was teaching the depth of Torah he was teaching. Um, <clears throat> start by just uh, getting just a little understanding of this is all the Rebbe Sfarim that we have. And getting us, give us a little understanding of what these farim are, how we got them, what they contain. Um, to do that, I want to read a letter that the Rebbe left with his writings. It's two letters, really. This side that I gave you is the Yiddish on top. We'll read in the Hebrew, and then we'll look at the back side to understand. But before we begin into this text, um, I'm sure most of you have heard the story. But I'll just give 
a brief uh, intro. Um, of these farim, like this sefer is really three farim. So this is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's like seven farim. These are what we have in existence from the Rebbe's writings. Only one of them was printed in the Rebbe's lifetime. Only this sefer, Chavazat Almini. And uh, the truth is, when the other Sfarim were printed, the Rebbe was known as the Baal HaMechaber Chovas HaTalmidim. Which one is more than one? This one. This one has three books in it. Okay? The Hebrew? What? Hebrew. It's all Hebrew. Yeah. Um, Agav, some, like as far as English translations go, this has been translated to English, this has been translated to English, this has been translated to English, um, part of this has been translated to English. We'll, we'll, we'll get there when we get to know a little bit more about this fine, but it, in my opinion, some of the Rebbe's most important writings are in these two Sfarim that haven't been translated yet. Mm-hmm. And for me, this has been like some of the the most meaningful stuff that I've, I've gotten from the Rebbe that has helped me understand much more fully his other his other Torah. But we'll get there. Sav was translated? was translated into English in a book called To Heal the Soul. Mm-hmm. It's the Rebbe's personal spiritual journal. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll have a teal through through his books. But <clears throat> this was printed in the Rebbe's lifetime, I think 1932, if I'm not mistaken. I wrote it down here. Yeah, 1932. And and it became like a pretty popular book at the time. It was, it's, as we'll, when we get to it, we'll see, it's very revolutionary as far as <clears throat> addressing Chinuch, education, personal growth, how we relate to children, how we relate to students. Um, beyond being an Admor, or as part of being an Admor, the Rebbe was extremely invested in young children. Uh, he used to brag that he had the most Hasidim who don't fast in Yom Kippur. <laughs> and he would actually, on Shabbos, and Yom Tovim, he'd have, and at the school, he would have like the kids, Mamash, like surrounding him. We'll get we'll get more deeply into his educational outlook and 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 how important that is. But this was the only sefer he published in his lifetime. This B'nai Machshavatova, which I know some of you guys are familiar with, um, it existed in like Kuntris, a little bit of a pamphlet among his students, among some of his students during his lifetime, but was not in printed form. It was like something that was privately circulated. <clears throat> um, these books, we only have them because of incredible miracles. And towards the end of the war, the Rebbe buried these in a canister in Warsaw. Sometime before he was shipped out of the ghetto to a concentration camp where he died. That canister was found, I think, like in like 1950 or something um, by Polish construction workers. And they saw Hebrew writing. They were like building on the site where we buried it, and they he, they brought it to the Warsaw Jewish Archives. I just okay, it's there with along with all the other shards and shariot of everything that was left in Warsaw after the war. What kind of canister? I don't know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. So the the truth is that he wasn't the only person who was um, burying writings in Warsaw at the time. There was a group of journalists and writers and, and thinkers called the Onik Shabbos group. And they, in the Warsaw Ghetto, set out a mission of collecting the history and the story of what was happening at the time. And so 
that collection was also something that there was like a conscious um, decision by some people in Warsaw, some of these like kind of leading Jewish thinkers in Warsaw to say, we have to preserve what's happening right now. And they also buried their writings and those writings were also recovered. And there's, you know, people who've like kind of documented the archives and written books about them. Hule can check out uh, history books about that. Um, the Rebbe buried his Svarim in his Dibur Torah. And there was a Jew here in Antishan named Baruch Dibivani, who I believe was of European descent and made Aliyah, um, I think, before the war. And some of the Rebbe's Talmudim were here in Eretz Israel. They left Poland um, during the war, before the war. And they had been telling Baruch Dibivani, he worked for the, I think, the Jewish agency, the Sochnut, and he was in conversation with. Polish Jewry after the war in terms of the sort of like you know figuring out what we do at this at this point how do we help how do we have the situation and the, the Hasidim of the Rebbe had been telling him we know the Rebbe has writings in Warsaw do whatever you can to try to find them so Baruch Duvani there's actually a street named after him in Vayvigan Duvani Street that's where the Yu Grus Kolel is located but he um at some point went to, to Poland for some kind of conference, and he had a personal agenda of, I need to look for the Rebbe's writings. I don't know what his personal story was so much, but he was, a, as says in the Shah of the Sfarim, that he was um, a descendant of the Rebbe Elimelech. So he had like deep ties to, to the world of Hasidus in some way or another. Um, and he, he writes, you can, we're not going to read it today, but he writes a letter in, in I think, the beginning of, the, of this printing about him going to, to Poland, going to the Warsaw archives and, and looking for hours upon hours upon hours through everything that was there, not finding anything. And then at some point, coming across a letter that he saw written by the Rebbe, he said, oh, if there's a letter here from him, there must be more here. And lo and behold, he, he kept looking and he found the rest of the Sfarim. The letter we'll read in a few minutes that the Rebbe left, what to do with the Sfarim. He brought them back to Israel. The Rebbe had a brother here at the time. We'll also speak about it, but... He brought them to his brother. He gained uh, permission to bring them back to Israel. How did he do that, too? Well, yeah. the Rebbe left a letter here saying to do it. We'll see it in a moment. Um, and then the, that's how we have these farm. Now, so just think for a minute. The Rebbe was... His yeah. brother was a partner of Kuf, right? Yes, well, yeah. We'll talk about, about that connection, too. Um, so we're talking about the Rebbe's writings that go back... I mean, there's a lot we don't have from his writings. He had a whole parish on the Zohar which we have one introduction from and one page from. Uh, he had Divrei Torah and Jerashos. Derech HaMelech is Jerashot that go back. Some of the earlier ones are like the mid-late 1920s until about 1930, 31. But he had been in Admor already since 1909 and was giving Jerashos every week and was writing. We don't have those Jerashos. Some of them, um, one of his Hasidim took with him. He was like responsible for them. He took them when he was sent to the camps and they got found and destroyed. So there's a lot we don't have from him. These we have because the Rebbe buried them in a canister in Warsaw. And a construction worker found them and gave them to Jewish archive. And Baruch Tadavani leafed through every page that he could in the archive till he found them. Now, if you've ever learned the Ish Kodesh, the Sefer, you know that there's parts of it that are written, that are like in bold. They're printed in bold, certain parts of it. Let's see if you just glance through it. It's not an easy safe to learn. None of these farm are easy to learn. None of these farm are easy to learn. Um, but the parts that are in bold are mostly the Rebbe 
just speaking about the horrific things that are happening and just like bearing his heart. Baruch Tov Devani was asked to bring the manuscript of the Eish Kodesh to the Eichmann trials. He read those parts of the Sefer as a testimony oh. at the Eichmann trials oh. to prosecute Eichmann. There's transcripts of the court case there, of him reading from the Eish Kodesh. Oh. So where this Torah came from, what Rebbe put into it, how it got to us, where it went, is like totally beyond, beyond anything that uh, is normal or makes sense. Um, and Be'enai, like, uh, you know, the Rebbe's Torah is oftentimes talked about in light of the Holocaust, in light of history and things like that. Be'enai, we haven't even, a lot of what he's talking about is like places that Jewish, the Jewish world, Bichlal, modern society, hasn't even begun to, to enter into, but it's like extremely relevant to to a lot of things that are happening today, or a lot of things that are sort of just beginning to emerge that, that he's giving an amazing vision of in Lashon for, and, and Derech Avoda um, for. So I ho- I'm hoping that, that in our time together we'll be able to, to touch on some of I mean, really, like, we sh- could learn this stuff forever. It's not like we're not going to be exhaustive in any means. But I'm hoping that we get, we have enough time that we can like, kind of go deeply, not only get the breadth of an idea of what, what is out there, so you guys can go into more on your own, um, if, it, if it speaks to you, if it draws you, but that also will have time to kind of explore some of the things, that, some of the ba- Rebbe's basic and main, um, let's say, in Prudot, that he's focusing on uh, more in depth. Uh, I'll just say... You know, today, if I'm going to present more, you know, my hope is that coming weeks will be more, more lean within the text than today. I'm just going to kind of give more of like the, the, the overview um, from the Rebbe's life and, and I'm hoping to get into some of the Torah as well. Okay. Um, so let's read. Let's read. These, these two letters were found in the canister along with the Rebbe's writings. I'm going to just jump to the bottom Hebrew translation here. I am taking the honor, or I am honored to permit myself to request from the honorable mister or institution who finds these writings. That's this book. That's the second book in here. Mikhovat Avrechim. Chovat Avrechim we'll get is we'll talk about it's the book he was working towards and he didn't get to write. Savaziruz, it's also in here. Khidushe Torah, which Al Parshiota Torah mean Hashinim Tafshin Tafshin Al Tafshin Bet, that's nineteen thirty nine through nineteen forty two, forty three, that's the Ishkodesh. Litroch Bitovam the Shacham Tisrael Api Haktovet Haba'a. I'm I'm requesting whoever finds these writings to Make the efforts to send them to Israel to the following address, Rav Yishai Shapira. That's his brother. How come the the the, the, the place in Poland that was collecting Jewish stuff? How come they didn't send it? I don't know. They were in, they was like more like a town, local archives, you know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know like, if they even they probably didn't even read it so much, you know. They probably just had like all these. Um, just put in boxes. Remnants. They had remnants of the of the Jewish community there, and they were collecting them. But I don't know how much they were. They were Jews. Like there? when Duvdevani came and. He had to spend like days on end looking 
looking through things, leafing through things. I get the, the sense just from the story that things were sort of just compiled. Oh. I don't know. I don't know enough to say. But, um, Sends Rav Yishai Shapira in Tel Aviv, Palestina. And also to include this letter along with the package. As Hashem has mercy to allow me to stay alive. To be alive still with the Jews who are around after the war. So if God has compassion and I'm alive after the war with the other Jews here, I'm, I'm requesting to return these to the Rabbanut in Warsaw. Bishvil Kolonimus. For me. His name was Kolonimus Kalman, Kolonimus Kalman Shapira. Kolonimus? Kolonimus. You know the name Kalman? The Jewish name Kalman? So there's oftentimes Kolonimus Kalman. I don't know the etymology of the name. Kolonimus sounds like Greek to me. Kolonimus. It's a common name, Kalonimus Kalman, Kalonimus Kalmish. Is you know like, it from other... Yeah, yeah. it's a common uh, old name, but we can look, look, into, look into the history, give us, yeah, give us some insight for next week. Okay. Again. So he's saying, if I'm not alive, send this to my brother. If Hashem is rachmim on me and I'm alive, send it to me in Warsaw. Hashem is have compassion on, on all of us, the, the remnants of Israel in every place. To save us, to save us, to grant us life, to give us salvation in the blink of an eye. With thanks from the depth of my heart, Colonimus. So, this is the letter that was sent along with the writings to Israel, the basic request. You can see, I don't know what Oip Merkzam is. Anyone have some have good Yiddish? To whom it may concern. Maybe. Can can that be your assignment for next week? Is look it look it up look look it up for us? There there is a Google Translate for Yiddish, yeah. Talk to Talk to you about these and Zadis. Um so that's one letter. Yeah, I think it's something about like uh, as you look know, here. in some of the yeah. look. I just want to show you. So look, away. as we're here, we actually have a picture, have of, a it? picture of it. Yeah. Is it big? Is it like yeah. big? Here's the letter. Wow. Attention! I'm guessing attention. Yeah. It's like look at me. Three exclamation points. So it has two letters. It has on it the top, and then the next letter, which we're about to read. So this is uh, also just from from one of the pages of the of the manuscript of Eish Kodesh. Wow! Actually, I have a friend. I can ask him maybe to send it to me if he has a PDF who has PDF form of the handwritten Silum. Wow. And my my friend who spent some time like doing real in depth learning of the Svarim at one point talked about that. You see later with time that the Rebbe's handwriting starts to change. Mm. Sure. I like it's like you know, like barely legible by the end. So let's read the other letter here. This is Orli Yom Bedva Eira Kafev Teve Tavshin Gimel. So we're talking um, 1943, I believe. Parshas Veira. Okay, Tevet, Tevet. We're talking sometime in the winter. Okay, January, February, something like that. 
Now this is the letter he wrote to his brother. Noach, do you know what we're learning now? Do you know basics? Nothing. Okay. I'm still a little frazzled. I got involved in the Kabbalist issue. I was doing the Yeah, it takes a long time. Do you want me? Seriously, they were like, every word was seven seconds. I'm a little, I'm not like, can I give you like a one minute to catch you up with us? Yes, like how late am I? It doesn't matter. We're learning until five. Okay. We're going to be learning for the next uh, couple months at this time from 3.30 to 5, the, okay. the Torah of, of the Piazetz Nerevi. Oh, the Ish Kodesh. There you go. So we're starting today just getting a little biographical background, a little bit of basic familiarity with his Svarim that we have, the backstory of how we got them, which we talked about. And now we're reading the letters. Four out of five of these volumes. Take note. Four out, take note. Yeah. Pay attention. Take yeah. note. Four out of the five of these volumes, the Rebbe buried in a canister in Warsaw before he was taken to the concentration camp. They were found by a Polish construction worker. He saw Hebrew writing and gave them to the local archive in, in Warsaw. A couple years later, somebody from the Sochnut here in Israel, the Jewish agency, federation the agency, went to, to Poland for a conference. He searched through the archives till he found these and he brought them back to Israel as per the instructions of this letter, brought them to the Rebbe's brother who was living in Tel Aviv. That's where we're up to it now, okay? Okay. And you don't have an English translation of this? Of this, I don't. If if you have, do you have any of the, does any, do any of you have any of these farm in English? And in America. Okay. Yeah, so this, uh, well, we'll talk about it another time, but most of the English ones will have a copy of it. In I'm sure you can even find it online. But most of the English ones have a copy of the letter in English. Okay. These are Hasidim that made Aliyah that were here in Israel. In honoring my 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 loved ones, my brothers, my friends who are attached to my heart from before, may they be granted life. This book. We started doing some publishing of it before the war. But it stopped when the war broke out. Now, as we're in danger every single day, I'm requesting from you, my loved ones, my dearest ones, when Hashem helps, and, and brings into your hands these Interesting, these pamphlets, the first part of this book, the second part, from the years, from the years of rage, please do your best to strive to publish them. Whether it's all together, whether it's each one separately, however you see fit. Also, please do your best to spread, um, what's the word? disseminate these books among Am Yisrael. Please, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, to print on each one of my books that I personally request and I beg each and every Jew to learn my Sfarim. Each and every Jew. 
Kol echad mi Yisrael sheyilmold bisfarai. The Rebbe is begging each one of us to learn his farin. Who betach zchut avotaych doshim yamod lo. And certainly the zchut of my ancestors. We'll talk about where his ancestors in a moment will will be there for the people who are learning my svarim. Lo lechobeto bazogova for him for all of his family now and beyond. Hashem yirachem aleinu. Hashem have mercy upon us. When I first started writing Hachshar Savrechim, I wrote an Azkara in, in, in memory of, like in memorial, right? Azkara for my wife, my holy wife only. She died a few years before the war, okay, in, the, in the late 30s. And he, so he, when he wrote his book, he said, this is in memory of my wife. And he said, and that, at that point, my mother, my son, his wife, they were all alive. But now, in my pain and my great shattering, I've lost in my shortcomings, I've lost all of this preciousness. And the light of my eyes has been darkened. You shouldn't know from such things. So please also add now a memoriam for the people who I'm about to write here. Hashem should have compassion upon us and say enough to our pain and to the suffering of Israel. And that Hashem should return to me, my precious beloved daughter, Rachel Yehudis. I guess she was also sent to a camp or taken from him. She's, she was kidnapped, she was taken from me. Beyond So Elo, Vayera, Elo, Tevet, a couple months earlier. And please also write in the front of all of my books my name and the name of my Holy Father and my Holy Father-in-law. More than this I can't write. Shem should have compassion upon us and give us life along with all the remainders of Israel. And and allow me too, may I also merit to to make these efforts with you to print these fine. Meaning, give me life. Let me let me live to see the end of this. Divrei Ohavchem, these are the words of your your beloved, Achichem Reichem, your brother, your loved one, Hamit Gagealechem, who's missing you and longing for you. Hanishbar Vahanirzat Mitzarotai Mitzarot Yisrael Hamukimat Homraba, who's broken and shattered from my suffering, from the suffering of Israel that are deep into the abyss. And as high as the highest heavens, and who's longing for Hashem's salvation in the blink of an eye. Colonimus. So as the Rebbe says here, in all of his faring, we have the Azkara, the memorial for his wife, his daughter, his son-in-law, 
his uh, no, it's not his son. His son and his daughter-in-law. His mother. Then here is for his father, Rabbi Limelech of Gruzinsk. <coughs> and you have here also Rabbi Chmel Moshe Mikushnitz was his uh, father-in-law. So the Hasidim and his brother kept the Rebbe's requests. But you could see just and just here in, in, in the words here, I mean, what the Rebbe put into these farm, begging every person to learn them. Mention my family. If God gives me life, if God doesn't give me life. You know, the... Thank, Thank you, you so much. <clears throat> at the time of the war, you know, we're wondering, like, the Rebbe was working, writing all his stories here, his Joshua's and Hishkoda for three years. Like, who's he writing this for? Who's he writing this for? He put in a can in the ground. This is what he devoted his time to during these years. He was devoting the energy to life that he had in him to bring these farms to us. So there's a way that the, when, we, when we learn the Rebbe's farm that he's he's in these farm. Every Rebbe is in their farm, but the Rebbe, like Mamash, he put his life into this into these farm and put them in the ground so that we can. There's a tefillah that that was answered that we would find them that we would have them. Rabbi like lives through these farm in a way that uh, don't find elsewhere. So with that said, let's talk a little bit about the Rabbi's uh, background, just some of his biography. Um, he's known as the Rabbi Piasetzna. That was the town where he set up his, himself as Admor at the age of 20. But we'll go back a little bit. Yeah, 20, right? <laughs> Uh, Rebbe was born in 1889 in the town of Grozinsk. Uh, both Grozinsk and Piazetsna are pretty close to Warsaw. We're talking like 15 kilometers, 10 kilometers from Warsaw. So they were like these centers of Jewish life, but they they're basically suburbs of Warsaw. So it might be within Warsaw now. Cholyot, I don't know. It's very possible. I don't know. Um, Rebbe was born to Reb Elimelech Shapira who was the Admor of Grozinsk. Now, Grozinsk was a, the, the, like you said, the, the dynasty that Grozinsk comes from initially all the way back is Koznitz, the Magami Koznitz, if you've heard the name. Uh, Magami of Koznitz was basically a first-generation first Rebbe. Um, he was known as a Baal Moifet, like did performed amazing miracles. Um, his main sefer that's known as Avodat Yisrael, but there are the but there's a lot of Sparim that he wrote. Um, on the father's side, he goes he comes from Kuznets. Um, on the mother's side he comes from he's he's named Kalana was common, you're asking if there's a the Maur of Ashemesh. Okay, the Maur of Ashemesh was one of the closest Talmudim of Rabbi Mahmudishansk. We have this farm here, the Mor Shemesh. It's also like a Sefer Yisod of Chasidus, one of the found, fundamental foundational Chasidus farm. 
he was named Colonimus Common. Pisas Nerbi was named after his <coughs> ancestor, the Marva Shemesh. Um, he also, from his mother's side, was a descendant of the Chazim Lublin, descendant of Rabbi Melech of Lezhensk. Right, his father's name is Elimelech, his son's name is Elimelech. Um, the family, not sure exactly which side, but they traced themselves back to the Shla, the Shach, the Bach, the, and the, the dynasty of David Melech, the whole lineage. I'm saying this because there's something amazing that we have in the, in the Rebbe's writings as somebody who is so, his, his, his genetic makeup, his, his flesh and bones and soul and breath is, is formed out of generations of Hasidic Rebbe's. You don't have that by the earlier Rebbe's because they're earlier. And so what you have in what is one of the things that, that's unique about his writings that he's able to um, that's what I'm looking for. Integrate? More than integrate, he, he brings together a whole tradition of, of Hasidus, like a, of, of a broad Hasidus, he brings together and is able to present in a way that, um, uh, this, the English is escaping me, but in a way that, that, that he gives like a unified, unified theory of, of Hasidus, of spiritual work in, in our generation. Mm. He has a vision of, of, of evolution over the generations mm. that he lays out for us. Yeah. Um, not only that, he's, he quotes from a lot of Hasidic Rebis. He's quoting a lot from his father, from the Ketusha Slave, from Levi Yitzchak from the Balatanya, um, from Rabbi Melech, from Magim Mezrich. He's able to give, like, a, just a second, just sort of like a, a more contemporary articulation of everything that came before him. And it crystallizes a, a certain vision of, I mean, like, some of, a lot of his farim that are based focused on Avodah Hashem, he's, he's looking to, to clarify the same question in each one of these farm. How do we be Hasidim in this day and age? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a Hasid? Mm-hmm. That is what he's talking about. What are you going to say? What you're saying is he's influenced by all of it. That's mm-hmm. what makes him like unique. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's going <clears> a certain <throat> way like Hasidu. Ah. He's bringing mm-hmm. like, because he has it all at his fingertips from his like, from what he's learned of his masters and his like, his ancestors and like, He's actually born out of that. Right. He's born out of that. Um, so coming back to <clears throat> to the Rebbe's life, he, he by the age of three, his father actually died. The the Rebbe, the Brzezinsk, the Brzezinsk Rebbe died. Speaking of his father, there are two sfarim from his father, Divrei Melech and Imrei Melech. They're out of print. But uh, you can find them online on uh, Hebrew books. They're they're accessible. I've seen some of the older printings, but uh, they're around. It's 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 valuable in the sense that the Rebbe's quoting from him all the time. He's always saying, "As it says, my father's safer." So just if if that's ever a place you want to go, those those frame are are accessible. Um, his father was pretty old when the Rebbe was born already. Um, Let's see, he was born in 1889. His father died. He was about 70. He was in his late 60s at the time. <clears throat> so he had a, a number of older children, of children who were much older than the Rebbe. Just to give you a sense, the woman the Rebbe ended up marrying was his nephew, his own nephew. 
meaning he had an older, older sibling who was like a few decades older than had a child that he married. So this is like, we're talking about like a large span of time. Um, but his father had a very, very strong connection with, with him, with the young child. He used to put Kfitlach, right, the notes that Chaseim would bring to him to, to daven for them and, and put their names on it and their requests. He used to put Kfitlach under the pillow of, mm-hmm. of, the, of, of Kolonim's common mm-hmm. as, a, as a baby. He'd put Kfitlach under his pillow. Um, he had a shamash who would give him Tiyosidayim every time he woke up from his nap. Make sure his kippah stayed on his head. He really invested a lot in his in his child. Mm-hmm. And his father died when he was three. So that mentor, that guide for him was was lost. But already from a very young age, the Rebbe was seen as <clears throat> as being very special and different, and devoted, and. Um, I'm going to try to, you know, in the back of this Sefer, there's actually a really good, like, 30-page biography that somebody wrote. I'd recommend it if uh, you ever get around to it. It's written in kind of, like, poetic in language sometimes, but uh, you can work through it. I'm going to tr- try to tell the, the stories before that I, I just, you know, think are the most relevant. And, and there are all these, like, Sifre Malfet about the Rebbe, kind of more miraculous things. But just one thing that, that was brought, um, that as a four-year-old, he was brought into the base measures to say Kaddish for his father. Right? He's in mourning. And the Rebbe stood there and he refused to say Kaddish. He said, how can I say Kaddish for my father when I see him sitting there right in front of me? Mm-hmm. So they recognized that this was not, not an ordinary mm-hmm. kid. Um, one of his father's Grandchildren, again, we're talking like long span of time, so there's like a big age differential. Was Rav Rechmiel Moshe was the Koshnitzer Rebbe at the time, and he became Pizas um, Rebbe's primary teacher. So the Rebbe married Koshnitzer Rebbe's daughter at the age of sixteen. He moved in to. I'm not sure where they lived. I don't think it was Koshnitz, but. Uh, he moved to where, where his father-in-law was. His father-in-law became like his, his main mashpia and teacher from the ages of 16 till he died at the age of 20. When, sorry, when the Pizas Rebbe was 20, his father-in-law died. And at the age of 20, he was appointed as the Admor, as the next Rebbe. And the, it's the line of Kuznets, but at the time, he moved and settled in the town of Piyasetna, became the Rebbe Piyasetna. At 20. So again, he's drawing from, he's coming from the world, from most specific Rojinsk, which is an offshoot of Kuznets, married to the Rebbe of the, married to the daughter of the contemporary Kuznetsa Rebbe, who was his main teacher, and then set up uh, his own, his own home in Piasetsna. So they just changed the name of the town. It's not, not, it wasn't called the Kuznetsa Rebbe, it's called Piasetsna. And by that time, and you see even today, every Hasidus has like, because everyone has their own children and they set up, they live in their own places. They all have multiple kind of um, offshoots of, of one kind of uh, root. Um, so we're talking 1909. The Rebbe settled in Piyasetna. Um A few years later, he was born to the Rav of the city as well. And after World War One, I, I don't really know why, but I think having to do with what, what happened during the war, the Rebbe actually moved from Piyasetna to Warsaw. And he never moved back permanently to Piyasetsna. 
But remember, they're about 10 kilometers away from each other. It's pretty close. Uh, so two things continued. One was the people in the town refused to take a, another Rav over the town. They said, okay, you live in Warsaw? You're still our Rav. We're not going to appoint a different Rav. Again, Rebbe and Rav are different things. Rebbe is the, is the Rebbe, is the spiritual mentor of his Hasidim. And the Rav of the town is the one who um, is responsible for the, the Judaism, the Yiddishkeit, the Jewish representative of the town. So he was both in that town. And they refused to take another Rav upon them. He, although he moved to Warsaw, he would come back to Piasesna every year and spend, I think it was from Shabbos Nachamu till um, like after the Yomim Tovim, Shabbos Parshas Breshit, something like that. He would spend that time in Piasesna. So he'd be there a good uh, what, two months or so. In telegraph or telephone, I forgot. I don't know. Why? I just wondered if he communicated when he was in Warsaw. Yeah, so I mean, Small he was close by enough. They continued right. to consult him for Pisgah Halacha and things mm-hmm. like that. And But he would he would spend his time there. Um, and then th- that time of year became a very concentrated time where people would flood into Piyasetzna to, to be by the Rebbe during the during the Yom and everything. Um, I'm saying this because I, I think when you have an understanding of where the Rebbe was and what the environment around him was at different times, when you're learning his Sfarim and you see like, oh, this is like a drasha on Shabbos Shuvah or on uh, Rosh Hashanah, you understand that there's like, all the Hasidim are gathering at that time. And when it's it's another time of the year, he's in Warsaw and he's with other people. I mean, it's, it's just, a, it offers another lens of, of understanding like who the Rebbe's talking to at the time. And talk about his brother for a few minutes. He had a brother, we saw in the letter, who was, I think, a year or two younger than him, Rabbi Yeshaya Shapira. Rabbi Yeshaya, the name Yeshaya Shayahu, is, we said he's a, a descendant from the Shla, the Shla Kadosh, who lived in the 16th century. So his name was Rabbi Yeshaya. So the Pizas and Rabbi's brother is also Rabbi Yeshaya. Rabbi Yeshaya came to be known as the Admora Chalutz. What's a Chalutz? Anybody? Pioneer. The pioneer, the Zionist pioneers. In, 20th century, early 20th century, even even 19th century, he came became known as the Admor HaChalutz, which means like the Chalutz Rebbe, the Zionist pioneer Rebbe, because he was from the Rebbe family, and he was a completely devoted Zionist who moved to Eretz Israel in uh, 1914, I think. It was that time he met Rav Kook. Was extremely taken by Rav Kook. He actually, there's a sefer called Eretz Chefetz which was published after, no, it was during Rav Kook's lifetime. It's basically a collection of Rav Kook's different writings about Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi Shai Shapira edited and put together that sefer of Rav Kook's writings. So he had a very close connection to Rav Kook. He was connected very, very much with the whole beginning of the setting up of, of Medina Yisrael. He helped, you know, found uh, Paul Mizrahi and all these things and was very involved in, in building the land. Uh, his dream was to be a farmer which he ended up uh, moving to a kibbutz in the last like two years of his life, and mm-hmm. she have some pictures of him on a horse or a donkey or something. Um, I told you I had visuals, right? So not they're going to be small pictures. Um, let's pull up a few. Can see. This is this is the Rebbe's brother, Admar Chalutz. Okay, 
and uh, some of this donkey. And he used on the on the kibbutz, they like you like have kabakal, you need to run tishes like on the kibbutz, like he was the Rebbe there. And people gathered around him like like a Rebbe. Um, I'm sure this is like a very famous picture of the Eish Kodesh that uh, I'm sure you guys have seen. This is a, a younger picture of him. It's a little harder to see. But there's just like a lot of chain in this. Nowadays, there's a Rebbe in Ramat Beishemesh who's the grandson of the Amara Chalutz. The grandson of Rabbi Shaya, I mean, the great nephew, the grand nephew of, uh, is that great nephew? What do you call it? I don't know. The great nephew of the, of the Bezos. The Rebbe, he's got a uh, Shul based Midrash in, in Ramat Beishemesh. What's his name? Rabbi Shapira. I think it's Rabbi Shapira. I'm not sure what his first name is. You've met him before? Over there in Beit Shemesh. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the Rebbe's brother, Rebbe Shaya, he went in 1914, came back during World War One. He was kicked out of Eretz Israel because of political reasons. He went back in 1920 without it, and he was without his family. He just he, he needed to be in Eretz Israel, and he was working to try to bring his wife and children with them. But sometime in the early 20s, he came back to Poland to collect his family and finally bring them. Tertiso with him. Now, the Pizetz and Rebbe, the Ish Kodesh, he for years wanted to move to Israel. For years, he was completely, he never came, but he was completely in love and full of yearning to come to the land. When his brother came to collect his family to go back for good, the Rebbe was like so taken. By this desire, he sold his house, he sold all of his belongings, and he gave his brother money to buy a plot of land for him outside of Yerushalayim. Um, I think I, there's a quote in here of maybe something he said at the time. Why must Kalman give his brother money to, to buy a, just a plot of land for him? He said, I'm not going to be able to live there, but I want a chelik. I want a chelik. Wait, where are you? So, uh, I don't, it says Parvare Yerushalayim, like the outskirts of Yerushalayim. <laughs> Could be. So, the, so like this is for example. So the the Hasidim were saying to the Rebbe, like, we don't want you to sell your house. We'll give you money, okay? And he said he wanted it to be his own. For his own. He said, "Is it a real chachma to buy a house, to buy a land, a piece of land with somebody else's money?" He's like, "What's the, what's what's the Milo? What's what's so great about it? anyone could buy a piece of land with somebody else's money? I want to for me. I want to I want to make a real kinyan from of my own." Kitzer, he he said if, if if he couldn't live there with his body, he at least wanted there to be an achla for him here. Um, by the way, just a, one more thing about the Rebbe's brother, Rebbe Shaya, Shayao, he was a musician, a violinist, and like would always like compose nigunim for smachot and stuff like that. There's actually a few of his nigunim that are. are one of his nigunim is very well known, very commonly sung. It's not really an original; it's an adaptation. You guys know the song, the Shab song. So that's based on a Kalinar 
Nigun in Yiddish. And it's an adaptation into like the modern Israeli, the, the Nigun changes a little bit, the words are changed to Hebrew. Rabbi Shaya made the, made the adaptation of that Nigun. Karlin, by the way, I didn't mention, Karlin was also, Pizas and Rabbi's wife was from Beit Karlin. She's from the, the Karliner dynasty. She actually, I don't think it's in existence, but she wrote a commentary on the base Aaron, on the, mm-hmm. ma- the main Karliner text. His wife wrote a commentary on it. Ooh. His wife, in, in he talks about his wife helping look over his own writings. And we have in the Hachshar Sa'abrechim a comment from his wife, a footnote that his wife added and, and, and suggested that he changed something in it. Um, we'll talk at some point that the, the influence and, and of, of women in the Rebbe's life that actually is, is expressed in some of his Torahs in really profound ways. Um, I'll say just for a moment that if you read into the family history on both sides, there were women in the dynasty of Kozhnitz and um, in his wife's family as well who were known in the generations as these like basically female Rebbe's. Like who would like daven with the talis and people would come through for brachas and and, and bring kvitbach to and stuff. So he he had, yeah, he had in his in his family history. Besides, for all these admorim, he had these women teachers or figures who were these spiritual forces, including his own wife. I explain a lot. What do you think he'd explain? Oh, just his his, uh, his wisdom and his sweetness mm-hmm. and his balance and his holistic approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, to community and to the inner work. Right. I would say that there, there's temper. more. Some of the things that are very there, there is that that you're talking about. There's also like how many rabbis do we see that are so devoted to young children? Um, how many rabbis do we see that are so? He wrote a whole book of how to be a feeling person. Mm-hmm. That's Which one is that? That's in Achshar that's all the whole book is focused on. And and developing the kochot nefesh in, in such a refined and sensitive way. Um, sacred family. So I want to tell just a, a couple more things about his life, and then I, I want to get to a piece in the Yish Kodesh. Um, he founded his uh, his yeshiva called Das Moshe in 1923, and this is where he started to really devote himself to to teaching and training young kids. And we're going to read the, the introduction to Chobos HaTamidim together, but, but just al regal achat, the Rebbe said, you know, maybe some of us think that before the war, uh, European Jewry was this sort of like intact, you know, flowery, uh, vibrant spiritual life, and everybody was religious and everything, but it wasn't true. And the river was living in Warsaw, which was like a center of cosmopolitan life. And people were, you know, leaving Yiddishkeit for all sorts of things. That's where you went. What? That's where you went. <laughs> if you wanted to get away, you, you, you went to Warsaw. You went to and you to the And the Rebbe said, he's like, why is everybody leaving? Because it just doesn't work for people to live a life uh, of, of being a Jew that's dry. At some point, things are going to give. And culturally and historically and socially, it's no longer acceptable to people from a very young age to buy into something that just doesn't touch them. So he said, we need to start making Hasidim from the beginning. We need to start making Hasidim out of the kids. And so he invested in, in the children. He invested in, in them as they grow and invested in that. You'll see that his Sfarim, Chos is written to the young students, the Talmud. 
Hashart Avrechim literally means training the Avrechim. An Avrech is like it's like you guys. It's like slightly older guys who are live, learning, maybe married, maybe have families, maybe not, but you know, twenties and older, uh, like adults learning in yeshiva. His next sefer was that he didn't write was Chovas Avrechim, which was going to be the. It's like here Chovas Tamidim. He's working a lot on 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 Tikkun Hamidot, on on instilling confidence and 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 a basic perspective of of spiritual life to to somebody in in more concrete terms, but in, in a very deep way. He's already working on developing the nefesh through, let's say, like a little more of a developed approach. is means the introduction to the gates. He's basically saying, like, I'm not going to go like off into the, de- into the depth of the depth with you until you're ready. So the opening of the gates, Mavua Sharim, is him giving out, laying out his vision of, of what Hasidus is at its core and what the spiritual avodah of Hasidus looks like. And the book he didn't write is the higher level avodah that he was wanted to teach people. So he really wanted to guide people from their youth as they develop in life. I mean, B'nai Mokshavatova was written for the people in his circle who were ready to devote themselves to a certain level of avodah. Um, but we don't know what he was going to put in. The book so that we don't I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's likely to think that there would have been some overlap, but there's already overlap between this and things that he talks about in Hachshara uh, Um These farm, just while I'm on it, Derech HaMelech. Derech HaMelech is a collection of all of his writings that were intact still. Um, most of them, some of them are dated, like from mid twenties to early thirties, thirty thirty one, etc. A lot of them are not dated. There's letters in the back. There's scraps in the back. There's like a drasha here and there, but it goes according to the order of the parshiot. There's a lot of parshiot that he doesn't touch on at all. Then in the second section, it's all of the holidays. Then after that is all the sort of just more miscellaneous writings. Ish um, Kodesh were his drashot from. During the Warsaw Ghetto years, 1939 to 42. Um, Tzav like I said earlier, this was his spiritual journal that he, it seems it's clear to me in the way that it's written and in what we saw in the letter that it's a journal that he was writing for people to read and, and learn from. Hmm. So those are the basics that we have from him. Um, so to come back, Sushiva. Students, he wrote Chovat HaTalmidim in 1932. It became like a very popular book at the time. Uh, there's stories of, you know, Rav, uh, Rav in Morocco who saw the Sefer and wrote to the Rebbe to Davin for his child. Like this but the book spread throughout Poland and beyond. Um, just something about the Rebbe. We talked about Warsaw as like this uh, center of, of modern life at the time. The Rebbe knew medicine. And the pharmacies in Warsaw all accepted his prescriptions. And so the Rebbe was was a healer in a in a broad way and in a holistic way. There's actually he he would write scripts for his his Talmidim. He would be consulted by surgeons and doctors. Should we do the surgery? Should we not? Chassidim followed his word. I actually have we have close family friends whose mother, as a child lived in the area and she needed some kind of the doctor said she needed some kind of um, very risky eye surgery for something that was going on they consulted the Rebbe should she do it 
Mm. He advised not to. Her eye healed, um, but he he was he was working on on treating people in all sorts of ways. Uh, I'm going to tell you the other side of the treatment, not just the prescriptions and the medical advice. First one story to Bridget, there's a story of a, a chassid who walked in and, and said to the Rebbe, my prescription's out, I need a new one. Chassid took his hat off, the Rebbe took a slip of paper out of his hat, wrote another slip of paper and put it in his hat, and the chassid put his hat on and walked out the door. It was for his head, he had like headaches, so the Rebbe wrote him a prescription he wore under his hat, and the chassid were laughing. And there he said to them, for some of you, you take medicine when, when something's hurting you. For him, he has a moon of shuta, and it works that way too. And now here's a story that just for me, like, for me, this story really embodies so much of, of, of who the Rebbe is. This is a story that, uh, you know, let me consult in here for the actual name of, uh, of who it was. They read here about the Rebbe reading Kvitlach, reading the letters that his Hasidim would, would leave him. So just listen to this. That between each meeting with someone who came to see him, the Rebbe would, would sit there and spend time reading over each note, and he would like, they don't know what he was doing, but he'd go, but he'd love it, and with deep meditation, just be meditating over this note in all sorts of ways, and he would take notes. And the notes that he took from reading the letter after meeting these Jews who needed help, these were the notes that formed his parish in the Zohar. Mm. He would hear somebody's story. He would look at their name. He would be davening for them, be taking in what they told him. And he wrote from that a parish in the Zohar, which we don't have. We have his introduction. And if we will read part of it and maybe give us a little inkling into what that what that might, how it we can maybe sense. understand that. The Zohar is a parish on this reality. Yeah. So it makes sense that this reality would be a parish on the Zohar. Right, and it's, and it's more than that, is that. I'll just say it here and we'll, as like an introductory, you know, title, and we'll get into it more deeply, hopefully in the, in the coming weeks, is that the Rebbe focused in such a deep way on the nefesh. All of his writings, he's talking about revealing the nefesh of the person. And specifically the nefesh being the, the the physical reality, the spiritual essence of the body. What are we, what, where are we seeing God, where are we meeting God in this most immediate reality? So for him, writing a parish on the Zohar, he's also writing like what this means for the Chokot and Nefesh, what this means for for human life. He's not telling us, and he says this in his introduction, we'll get to, he's not saying, oh, so let me teach you something about the spirit. Um, but the story is that one, there was a Rebbe who came to visit him. Who was it? The Rebbe of Kozmir. Okay? The Rebbe of Kozmir came to visit him for a shot, for a Shavuos. And he wanted to come say, by to the Rebbe on Isruchag, the day after Shavuos. And he couldn't get to the Rebbe because there were lines of people, there were throngs of people waiting to see him. So he, he got very upset by this. He said, he said, does, does, he said to the Rebbe Shamash, he said, does your Rebbe have nothing, it's as if the Rebbe has nothing better to do than for all these people to bother him? This is a tzaddik. He should have his time for avoda, 
the Torah for Tefillah. He shouldn't have to be spending all his time Kabbalat Kahal taking all these people and hearing, you know, all the Tzaras and whatever they have to say to him. He should have, he's a Tzadik, he needs his space. So the Shamish at some point communicates to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe called in uh, the Rev Kuzmir. And he showed him a piece of paper. He said, take a look at this. And he looked in, there were all these kind of Dive Remes, kind of little notes, things that were like these Kabbalistic things that didn't really make sense. He said, what is this? He said, these are the notes that I've been taking as I've been meeting people, and they've been bringing me their Kvitlach. So when I'm finished with all this, these songs of people who you, you know, who you can't stand, when I'm finished seeing them, why don't you and Rebalter Elazar Mitterchin, another person who was there over the Yantiv, why don't you guys come together and meet with me and we'll learn it together. Yeah. Okay, so here the Rebbe is meeting people and, and revealing from it and learning from it, Sitre Torah, Sitre Torah, directly. Um, there's more to say, but let's uh, let's jump into to the Ish Kodesh for a little bit, okay? We have about 20 minutes to learn. We'll get a taste. Um, any just thoughts or questions or anything before we go into this? Do any of you have any of these for him? Yeah, Ish Kodesh. Okay. If there are weeks in the coming weeks where I know ahead of time what we're going to look at next week, I'll let you know. <laughs> but both uh, and I'll make I'll I'll make photocopies of, of where we're going to be coming. So this is a Torah from Parshat Yitro from 1940, the first year of of the Sifrei Ish Kodesh. Um, this is basically the first year of the of the outbreak of, of the war. Okay? And uh, I want us to start here, because not that it's going to give us a comprehensive view of things, but it, it's going to give us a, a fundamental piece of where I think the Rebbe's Torah is coming from. Okay? Now there's something unique about this Torah, which is he starts off at the top saying, Which means this Shabbos, I was in hiding. Mm. So he starts with the Yitro, the Kohen of Midian, right? Moshe, his father in law, he heard all that God had done for Moshe and for Israel, his nation, because he took them. What did he hear? That he took them out of Egypt. Right? Yitro lived in Midian. He heard what had happened. Perush Rashi. Mashmu Ashamauba. What is this Vayishma Yitro? What did Yitro hear happened that made him come? Right? Yitro left Midian and came out to the desert to meet the Jewish people. What did he hear that made him come? Kriyat Yamsuf Umilchemat Amalek. He heard Kriyat Yamsuf and he heard Milchemat Amalek. That's what Rashi brings. Okay? Just. If in the learning there's words or concepts or whatever that, that aren't clear, please stop me, okay? Etc. 
It's known, the famous kushya, the famous difficulty, the challenge, the question that my father talks about in his farim and in other holy books. My version says here, look at Noam Elimelech, look at the Mo'ainayim. What, you, what kind of question is Rashi asking? What did Yitro hear that made him come? The Pasuk says, Yitro heard that God took them out of Egypt. What do you mean, what did he hear? And then why does Rashi say, oh, Kriya Yamsuf Muhammad Amalek? It says clearly in the Pasuk what, what he heard. What's the question and what's the answer? What's this all about? Aval Kabbalah Satara Bemidbarhaita. Receiving of Torah happened in the desert, in the wilderness. You have a question? No, this is in this so so it's, it's important to note in this parsha. Yitro right. hears, after, comes to Moshe. The machloket is it happening right before, right after the conversation, but Yitro comes to Moshe, they talk. There's Kabbalah Torah. It happens in Parsha Yitro. I like to think that it also the Kabbalah Torah is connected to. For sure, and that's that's exactly where where, where the Rebbe is taking us as well. So thank you, the Rebbe is taking us into that. Something that Yitro heard that made him come. That triggered. Has something to do with the Torah being received in the desert. Yeah. Okay. Right, I told you he quotes from a lot of the other Chazish He's quoting from the Beit Aaron, the, the Cardinal Rebbe's book, who says on Rashi, now another Rashi in Torah, in Parshat Vetchanan and Shema. Elisha, you said earlier, I think, that Ish Kodesh isn't so easy to learn. Yeah. Part of what's not so easy about it is that he's not linear. He's very nonlinear, and we'll see he's going to jump us around. But you have to just go with him. But he like ties it up in the he end. He ties it up in the end, cool. but it wow. still is, is kind of hard to, to sometimes see how the how the pieces come together. Sometimes he ties it up, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Right. But but we have to we have to open up our uh we have to be associative here. We have to go with him, okay? So Rashi so there's a Rashi in Dvarim on Pasuk Shmay Sarasham Lakim Shem Echad. Rashi on that pasuk. What does it mean? Love God with all your heart. Rashi says, Your heart should not be separated, divided. Al hamakom, about hamakom. What's hamakom? The place, the name of God, right? Rashi's mefarish, loving God with your whole heart. Your heart shouldn't be split over God. But the base Aaron, Omer Bekatsho. Here's what the base Aaron says about that Rashi. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Your heart shouldn't be divided about the makom? Don't say, oh, this is a place I can serve God. This is a place where it's impossible for me to serve God. Mm-hmm. That's what the Beis Aaron says. Are you with me? Shlomo talks on this. He says, don't take your... If you think you're going to like do something that's a little bit off or questionable, don't take your kippah off. <laughs> what? You think, God, you think you can't be with God there? Yeah. Noah, are you with us? No? So, what exactly is he saying right now? Okay. Part one. This is Rashi. What did Yitro hear that made him come? Rashi says he heard Kriyat Yamsuf, the sitting, splitting of the sea, and the war with Amalek. But it makes no sense, Rashi's question, because the Pazuk tells us that Yitro heard God took us out of Egypt. So why is he asking the question, and why is he answering with something else? That's number one. Now jump with us to Shema. 
Pasuk Shema says, love God with all your heart. Rashi there says your heart shouldn't be divided over the place, meaning God. Okay, don't let your heart be split about God. Love God with your whole heart. But the Beis Arun, the Karlina Rebbe says, what Rashi maybe means with this is don't think that in one place you can serve God and then one place it's impossible to serve God. Everywhere you are, every place is a place that you need to serve God. So by the way, before we even go on, where is the Rebbe during this Shabbos? Hiding. Is he in a place where it's easy to serve God? He's not in a place that's easy uh, to serve God. Uh, maybe serve, no, but they say there's no atheist in a foxhole. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, How you know what I'm saying? Not, no, no, maybe not serving in a typical way, but it's, but when, when you're so desperate, it often squeezes out the, the deepest For sure, place, for sure. Which is, could be service. For sure. Magnifier. Right? For I sure. Don't know, I don't know. But. I don't know. All of my family and everybody that I know uh, did not have that happen to them during the war. Oh, yeah. So there's no one recipe, but there is. There's definitely when you're under the pressure. You know, some of the deepest prayers I've ever seen is like in a hospital, you know, mm-hmm. in the waiting room of a hospital. You see everyone prays their ass off. But I think suffice to say, if somebody's running for their life and hiding somewhere, and it's Shabbos, and that's where they are, it doesn't feel like the godliest place. Hmm? Makes you face life, death, the reality. You know, like, let's keep, um, let's keep hey. going, okay? V'chein. <laughs> Right? We were, again, we received Torah in the desert. If the Jewish people received the Torah in their own land, in the land of Israel, instead of in the wilderness, they would think that it's really only when I'm at home, in my place, that I can live the Torah. Because that's where I got it. I got it at home. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but not when we're in exile, not when we're caught with all sorts of other obstacles. So for that reason, God gave us the Torah in the wilderness when we were on the, on the road. On we're dragging ourselves around the desert. So that we can know that in every single place we need to live the Torah. There's no such thing as a place where we don't need to live Torah we can't live no Torah no hiding place from the father of creation so that's why we got Torah in the desert in the wilderness in a place that wasn't our place in a place that was Baderach that was Batiltu because this is like the Beisaron said earlier so your heart's not split over God or really over the place of God it's to teach us that our hearts have to be whole with God wherever we are the place doesn't make it godly or not godly. That's what I love about a simple synagogue. You know, sometimes in synagogues, when I was a kid, I had <clears throat> synagogues with pillars and gold and nice silver. And there was a, a choir that was in, like, behind the Ne'er Tamim. I thought that's mm-hmm. where God was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, then you walk outside and you're like, oh, no, God's yeah. not. Yeah. God's there. Not it's here. very misleading. Yeah. And it's, it divides our heart. So I love there's a bomb shelter synagogue right here. Right. Right. It's so simple. It's like children's artwork. Right. The, the, <laughs> Rebbe, the Rebbe taught Torah in secret in a sewer in Warsaw. Right. In a sewer? In a sewer in Warsaw. One of my, my Rebbe, Rabbi Howard Hoffman, lives in Denver. He's been teaching Eshkoda for a good 40 years. He took a group of people to Warsaw two years ago and learned in the in the sewer where the, the Eshkoda used to teach.
Don't let your heart be divided over there, over the place where God is or where God isn't. So now we're going back to Rashi, the first Rashi. Maybe this is what Rashi's question means. What did he hear that made him come? Not what did, not just simply what did Yitro hear about what God did. What did he hear that made him think, I need to get up and go somewhere right now? Right? He's emphasizing uva, that he came to the desert. Maybe this is really what, what Rashi's question is. Why does Yitro need to go somewhere? Yitro could have said, Gewalt. God took the Jewish people out of Egypt. God is awesome. He could have sent a message to Moshe, send me a Jew to teach me Torah in Midian, and I'll become a Jew also. Shinoh, the Medrash, says that what we learn from Yitro, Yitro was the Kohen Midian. He was the high priest of Midian. And the, the Torah says that what we learn from Yitro is that Yitro left Kisek Vodo, he left his throne of honor in Midian to go to the desert, Makom Tohu, Torah, to go to the place of chaos and of emptiness to hear the words of Torah. This is what the Medrash says. Okay, the desert is a place that's devoid of life, that's not settled, that's wild. And Yitro is in the lap of luxury, he's a leader. He's a spiritual guide. And he leaves there to go to the place of chaos, the Torah. What made him realize he needs to go there? Okay? He could have said, come to me and teach me. This is what Yitro, according to the Chazal, Yitro went, received Torah, and then went back to Midian, and, and he converted, he taught Torah, he taught the Hashem to his family. Why couldn't he have done the same for himself? Why does he need to go somewhere? So what does Rashi answer? Splitting of the sea and the war with Amalek. Right? Amalek wanted to cool off Amisrael. How did Amalek get the idea that after Yamsuf, and it comes right after the splitting of the sea, when we leave there, Amalek. How could Amalek have thought that after God split this, took us out of Egypt and split the sea, oh, this is the perfect time to yeah. cool off those, those Jews. What made them even have that idea? Chazal says that a maid at Yamsuf saw a prophecy that Yechezkel Hanavi never saw. And Yechezkel saw the, the vision of the chariots. A maid at Yamsuf saw a greater prophecy. Mm. What made Amalek think, this is the place where I can cool them off? Where I can derail them, disconnect them from God? Yeah. No, it says, Amalek tried to cool us off on the way. That's what the Torah says, on the way. So the Rebbe is saying... It's not just on the way is where we were. Amalek thought they can cool us off because we were on the way. Because we weren't in a place that was settled. Because we were in the wilderness. We weren't at any destination. Yeah, we went through cool stuff, but we're still in nowhere land. 
We're just baderech, so we're weak, we're vulnerable. That's the place where we're going. That's part of our secret, our medicines, keeping things moving. So that's where we're going. That's where we're going. Right, the Kruvim. Kruvim. Rabbi Nachman opens, Rabbi Nachman opens, Sipur Mesiot, his first story of, I'll tell you a story I told on the baderech, I told on the way. But Amalek thought, oh great, look, these people are homeless. These people are homeless. We can can get them right now. Now, right now is the time to get them. Even though we had been on such a high level right before, we were still in the way. That's what it means. They wanted to cool us down because we were on the way. That's what Amalek was relying on. So Yitro said, Yitro heard Milchemet Amalek and Kriya Yamsuf. Okay, according to Rashi. Yitro heard, we had been on this high level, here we were on our way. That made Amalek think, this is my time to get them. Yitro said, it's not enough for me to sit at home to receive Torah. I need to go there and also receive it, baderech. I also need to be on the way to receive Torah. He was a smart pagan priest. He was, he knew it all, <laughs> yeah. So listen to this. I need to leave my home and go to that wilderness, go to that empty place, go to the place of Baderech, where Amalek thought they could attack, because that's the place where, I'm gonna, where I know that I can actually receive Torah. And then, then I can be a Jew also in my home. Then also when I'm settled, when I'm protected, when I'm secure, then I can also serve God. But in order to get there, I need to first take myself out of my place of security and put myself on the way. Because Yitro heard, right now explaining Rashi, that after splitting of the sea, Amalek came to attack, thinking, oh, they're on the way, now we can over, overcome them, defeat them. So Yitro himself also realized, I have to go on the path. I have to go be on the way. I have to get into the desert, to become a Yid. What do you think the Rebbe is saying? It's 1940 in the Warsaw Ghetto. What is the Rebbe saying? It doesn't really matter the location or even if you're settled, but even if life brings you all these you know, weird even in their case that they'll be experiencing the next few years, you know, terrible things that come with their way, they can still serve Hashem, no matter if they're being pushed on trains or if they're wandering through lands they've never known or going through the horrible, horrible trials. They still can serve Hashem because that's really one of the greatest ways to is when you're being challenged, when you're not in a settled place, when you're being pushed, when you're being moved, that's when you can serve Hashem. Because that's mm-hmm. really the only thing you can hold on to. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing they really were able to hold on to in the desert. Because the landscape would always be changing. It's always you know, sandy and you couldn't recognize it. You know, day after. Hopefully this makes sense. That makes sense. That's a great sense. That, that's... The people are going to be on trains soon. They might right. think that this is only can... This Yiddish guy can only survive. Right. And in the bite. But... So this, this is like a... Conceptually, like we're, we're, we're getting in the, in, into into what he's saying. But but think about the Kishkas. In the Kishkas, what's he saying? 
I just want to give you a little background, and we'll get to this Torah in the coming weeks, hopefully line it up with, uh, with Parsha Sarkeda. This year, we're in Yitro, you know, like six months earlier, the Rebbe's son, daughter-in-law, and niece all were killed. The Rebbe had nobody left, and he wasn't the only one. There were tens of thousands of Jews in Warsaw who had been killed in the last few months. They were being shipped out of town. They lost everything they had. The ones who were alive were barely holding on. He got through a Shabbos in hiding. And the Torah that he learned when he was in hiding that Shabbos was, you know what, guys? This is where Amalek thinks that they can defeat us. And the truth is, after we didn't say this, I don't think any of us could say it. I can only say this in his name. And the truth is that this is the place where we're going to receive the Torah. This is the place. It's not, it's not, it's not only that this is horrific, but it's, we're being given something even deeper in a way that's unfathomable. But through this, he's, he's, he's saying that he, he's recognizing that there's something else that's happening. This is like, a terrifying thing to contemplate, and and again, I don't I don't feel like I can say this. I'm I'm just trying to say the Rebbe's words. This is part of why, by the way, a lot of the Rebbe's Torah in Eish Kodesh and the other Sparim not not so much, but in Eish Kodesh, people get very disturbed by some of the things he has to say. saying that the Torah of, of right now, what he's experiencing, first of all, saying where we are, we cannot say, we cannot think, we cannot think that we're not going to receive from God here. We cannot, we cannot separate our hearts from God at this time. That's number one. And number two is in the place where Amalek thinks that they're here to destroy us. That's our strength. We're only, we're only we're only receiving more. We're only going to grow more. We're only going to gain more. We're only going to find God. He's like trying to find an Akutova in, uh, in hell. What? He's going to hell to, to, to drag in out. Hell. A, he's in, in hell. hell. And he's, and he's, he's dragging he's, out. He's putting a light on an Akutova. Right. But there's more than that. But I just want to say, I think as like an intro to, to the Rebbe's term, we'll, we'll stop after this, especially in the Ishkodesh, is that I said this earlier, but here we're getting a taste of it, that there's a depth of Torah that he communicates here that could never be communicated before. And it's because of what he experienced and who he was. And, and in this Torah, he's telling us that. In this Torah, he's, he's aware of that. He's saying, I'm in hell, and I want to tell you the Chidushet Torah that I just learned in hell. And you're in hell too, so I want you to hear it also. And to take a step back, take a step back out of hell, because we're in Hashem. We're not in hell right now. No, there's there's gradations, but we're definitely not in the, in hell. But um, I think the question. 
Avavoda here that the Rebbe is posing to us is what does it mean to have your heart split on God? What does it mean that my relationship to place? Do I only feel like I can hear God when I'm at home? Or can I hear God baderach? To, to hear the Torah baderach, dafka. And to go to the place of baderach in order to receive it. Many of these recordings are from Rabbi Ami's ongoing weekly classes, given at Yeshivat Sharei Shalom in Jerusalem. For more information, go to shalom.org.il forward slash about. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Rav Daniel Cohn. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.